Hey everyone, Jared Goplin here, agronomy manager with Wiffles Hybrids. We're back here with Dr. Dan Kaiser for our next installment of our two-part series on soil fertility with Dr. Kaiser. And for this episode, we're going to be talking about zinc as well as boron use in corn production. Another topic, I guess, that comes up uh, from time to time is boron. Uh, so boron, of course, uh, one of those nutrients that, you know, once in a while it'll come up, we'll get questions on it. Uh, if we look at university recommendations for corn, you know, like Minnesota, I know you've got uh, some recommendations for alfalfa production uh, based on some soil test levels. But for corn, uh, I know you haven't really found much for responses. I think I actually found, helped you find some sites here maybe five, six years ago, uh, looking at some sandy sites, trying to find some responses to boron. So I guess why is boron important? Of course, it is important for corn production, but uh, I guess why are why haven't we really seen the responses? I guess in Minnesota, and I want to paint a paint a little picture on boron uh, use in corn and and what you found, I guess there. So boron really is important for mostly for seed production. You'll kind of see that little poorly developed um, seeds, um, and you tend to see brassicas uh, or something like alfalfa um, tend to be more responsive to boron than we see some of the grasses like like corn. So and then soybean, it's another animal that's actually more sensitive to toxicity, and I've actually had a better luck reducing soybean yield with boron application. Um, bor- uh, soybean and dry beans, dry edible beans, are two things I would not put boron with it it just doesn't really work so well and we see more yield reductions than anything else but um you know traditionally if you look at where it was important here in minnesota there has been a lot of research on it and a lot of it was in the the central north central part of minnesota where it's sandy with low organic matter those two things coupled with dry weather uh, tended to be situations where we'd see boron deficiency show up particularly in alfalfa which is more sensitive to it but then it'd rain and it'd start to go away. And that's one of the things with it, um, it the dry, it's when you tend to see if you're taking plant tissue samples, I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to get low boron in the tissue. And it's more of a issue with the supply and there's not a lot of that you can really do about it. I mean, you can apply it, but the problem with some of the micronutrients is they're mobile in the plant. So if you apply it, well, you know, one of the things I kind of wonder is how effective it is if you do tend to have a deficiency in continually feeding the crop. I mean, really, you know, with a lot of these micros, it makes more sense to put them up front if you're going to put them up front than try to be reactionary and to apply them later. But um, we looked at it in corn. I mean, Jared, we had, there was, I think, 18 locations. I had, I think, I had nine irrigated and nine non-irrigated over a span of three years. And the only sites that look like there may have been somewhat of a benefit uh, is, you know, potentially the irrigated sites, very low organic matter. We're talking probably a half percent or less. It, it just was maybe 50-50 at best where we, in those, some of those areas, um, we kind of looked at the boron soil test, which is, um, it's, that's a little temperamental, the one that's being used. And I don't know if there's really a better option than the one that's recommended right now. So I don't really trust it. I mean, really, I think the thing is you could do is, I mean, sandy soils, low organic matter, particularly if you're in a dry land situation, um, would be probably more where you're going to see a risk. But then it becomes kind of a chicken or the, I mean, I say it's chicken or the egg, but it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of a, a thing with, with dry land conditions is if you don't have moisture in some of those conditions, your moisture is probably going to be more limiting factor than it is with the boron application. So, I mean, it's, it's one of the things, yes, you can apply it to corn. I don't think I'd apply more than about a half pound to maybe a pound corn will tolerate it better. Um, but it just isn't a very high return on investment. I mean, I think you can have better areas to spend 
money on than um, than boron application, particularly in corn. Like I said, beans, I would completely avoid it. Do not apply it to soybean. Um, particularly if you've got some lighter soils, it tends to show up pretty quickly because boron, it, it likes sulfates and an anion. It's taken up by the plant. It's not regulated very well. Um, and it'll take it up if it's there in the soil. So it, it doesn't really limit itself and it's, it can overdo itself really easy. And I've got some some decent pictures of boron toxicity and those were around Rochester the, on a demo site that was relatively sandy. It was a dry year and it you could, I got some good pictures of it. So it's one of those things I just would be careful with um, just because um, you can overdo it and it can be an issue. I mean, alfalfa would make some more sense if you're dealing with a high production system. You know, maybe put on a little bit with um, with alfalfa, but I think even that, most of the soils probably have enough boron that they're going to be able to release as a soil. Um, organic matter is being broken down that it should be, shouldn't be much of an issue. Have you done any work with foliar applications? I know once in a while guys will put it on maybe a tassel timing, you know, uh, something along with that. Have you, have you done any foliar types of stuff? I have not done it. I mean, the issue with boron, though, is you have to, what you have to realize is even with foliar application, it's likely going to have to wash off and go through the roots because it's not going to penetrate the leaf. It can't penetrate the leaf. The leaf has a wax layer. It's neutral charged. Boron is going to be negatively charged. So it won't, there's really no avenue to go in that way. And it, I mean, it makes more sense at that point in time to apply it um, just because you're, when you're looking at around the time of seed fill, but, and it's generally if it's drier, but then it becomes, again, the problem, you've got to get it in the plant. It takes water to get into the plant. You know, it's, it's what problem are you trying to fix there? Because if you get water, you get rainfall, likely your boron concentrations in your plant are going to go up. So applying it in, get trying to get it in, it just, it's, it's not really something that I think that you're going to be able to do very easily. Um, well, the only really bad things I've seen with foliar applications in dry bean, I had a somebody sent me a picture of a field um, wondering what was going on. They had half the field where they applied. It had some really weird symptoms where it was, the leaf edges were scorched and it was just stereotypical boron toxicity with it. So as I said, one of the things you got to kind of be careful with because it's pretty easy to overdo. Maybe another one of those where, uh, you know, if guys are trying it, leave a leave a check strip, you know, of course, every year and environments influence a lot of these things, yeah. too. So every year could be different, too. But uh, I guess the last nutrient we got, kind of have on the list for today is is zinc. Um, you know, that's one where, you know, just this morning I pulled up some of our soil tests, uh, of course, farm in western Minnesota. And it's kind of 50-50, I'd say. Some, about half the fields have, you know, soil test levels that are really low for zinc that, you know, of course, Minnesota, you do have some recommendations for that in corn. So yeah, zinc, I guess, why is it important? Where are we, where do we typically see issues with it? And, you know, do we need to be thinking more about it, I guess? Well, for corn production, it is the micronutrient that's most likely going to be deficient if one is going to be deficient. I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to be. Um, the soil tests, so if I'm in Minnesota, you know, typically the labs here are going to run the DTPA, the zinc test. Um, if you're outside, they're likely going to run in Iowa or, or Illinois somewhere. It's probably going to be the Malik 3 uh, with ICP. The thing about those two tests is they don't measure the same amount. So the Malik 3 is going to extract more zinc than the DTPA. So you can't use the same set of guidelines for each of the tests. Um, in fact, I mean, normally I'd say maybe with the DTPA, if I got a test of 0.5, you're probably going to look at something more like 0.75 with the Malik 3. They do tend to correlate well with each other, but you can't use the same set of recommendations with it. You know, typically zinc, uh, if you look at it, a lot of soils, 
I mean, it's, it's, it's one of two things. One, it's high pH. That's what a lot of the stuff you deal with out in Western Minnesota. It's high pH. Yep. You tend to see issues with metals, uh, particularly some of the metal micronutrients. The availability decreases as pH increases. So it's not as uncommon. The only thing, though, is it really takes, you have to almost get below that 0.5 threshold. I mean, normally I use 0.75 as a critical level for, for part per million for the DTPA test. But if we look at the res- the research we have, it's you know 0.3, 0.4. That's when you tend to see the strongest in- increases in yield. I've had some. I have one site I remember from Northwest Minnesota that was about 15 bushel to the acre. And that was I think a 0.3 or 0.33 DTPA test. So that's kind of one of the things with it. That's low, and I don't know what you're dealing with. If you get anything that low or not? Just just looking at some this morning. I mean, the lowest is about 0.2. There's even a 0.17 I think, and that would have been uh, to Agvice. Uh, sample. So, you know, pretty fairly low, I guess, but then some of the other stuff is two or three PPM. So, and some of those fields aren't that far apart. No. And it's one of those, it's kind of like phosphorus where you can have a lot of isolated issues with it. I mean, we do have some problems in Southeast Minnesota on um, something similar, similar to what I dealt with around the Waverly area. Some of those soils are the silty clay loams. You'll get eroded hilltops in some spots where you'll get into situations where you'll get low zinc. So we've got some pictures in those areas of some zinc deficiency. Um, it is pretty easy to tell apart from nitrogen because you get white bands on the upper leaves. Um, and they're pretty distinct, big white bands with that. I mean, sometimes I'll see that um, after herbicide application, you'll get a few mm-hmm. plants here and there that'll get stressed that kind of show something similar to that. But um, it is it is pretty typical with that. Uh, but the soil test does do a good job though i think identifying the areas that it's going to be most effective i mean some growers i know have opted for some chelated zinc in with their starter which you know might be fine i mean it's you know probably the bulk of your acres so you probably don't need anything particularly some of those that you're talking jared you get up over one two three part per million you've got several years of um zinc there i mean the corn plant's really only going to take about a half pound up per acre per year there's about about half of that's in the grain half of that's in the, the biomass so it doesn't take a whole lot. It's kind of like, well, boron, I think it's more like a tenth of a pound. I mean, so it doesn't I mean some of these, it just doesn't take a whole lot to get max yield out of the plant. There's some different options you can go about here, but you know, I just, if you're grid sampling, if you've got the option with the co-op where they have a micros box or something where you could just put it dry zinc on, which you know tends to be relatively expensive, but you put five, 10 pounds on per acre, it's typically going to raise your soil test up enough where you don't have to worry about it for a number of years. So that's one of the things that you have to kind of weigh your options and what's available to you. And one of the things I don't know, if you get into some situations like those ones you're talking about around 0.2 part per million, if a quart of a 9% chelated zinc is even going to be enough. And that's what we tend to do is, you know, it ends up being a pound, basically a pound of zinc. And, you know, we tend to just run it on everything because it's, you know, logistically, you don't know which field you're going to next. And it, sometimes from a logistics standpoint, it's just easier. But yeah, that, that's been my this morning looking at this, you know, kind of reviewing. I'm like, well, that's maybe not enough. Maybe we need to do two quarts on some of these on some fields, specific fields anyway, where we know the tests are low. And that's one of the things I would recommend if you are going into a field that you don't know much about and you are grid sampling, I probably would make sure I had zinc run um, if you have corn in the rotation just at least once in the initial just to see where the numbers are. I mean, your, your numbers aren't going to drop that drastically over time, specifically, especially if you're over one part per million. I don't think it's really anything I'd worry about. I mean, the ones I'd watch out for if you get, you know, half part per million or less, whether it's the DTPA or the Malik 3 test, I would probably those areas I'd be more inclined to watch, but it is anything you would need to look at 
consistently over time, and unless you're in a situation like you're dealing with, where you're dealing with the high pH or higher pH situations, where it might be more prone to being low. So that's kind of one of the things with it. Um, you know, if I look at just bare minimum, if I'm, I'm looking at a field just for some soil analysis, pK, pH, um, then maybe zinc. Uh, if you're going to add the rest of them, you know, we mentioned sulfur, the soil test. Uh, that those numbers are all over the place. I don't really use it in labs. There's really no consistency among your lab in terms of what method they use. So the numbers that if you get from one lab and compared to another, it may not have any bearing on each other. They might be completely unrelated. So that's one of the, the things um, it just for something like sulfur, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Boron, yeah, it's a little iffy too, but zinc, uh, it's one that's a little bit more solid that I would pay a little bit more attention to if you're getting your looking at your soil test results. I think that kind of covers it for our uh, fertility topics, unless we missed anything on those uh, those three nutrients that we uh, need to cover. Yeah, and if anybody's interested, um, Minnesota Crop News, I mean, even if you're outside of Minnesota, I mean, you know, you mentioned that our podcast, we do a, a monthly podcast, uh, the Nutrient Management Podcast of the University of Minnesota, where we try to look at some varied topics. But Minnesota Crop News, um, we, we tend to try to have news releases every weekly, at least in the blog forum, where... A lot of time during this time of the year, we'll actually have um, just some updates on some of the current projects, if you are interested. Um, and then upcoming, we've got two um, events coming up. Um, one is the Nutrient Management Conference, um, and then the other one is the Nitrogen Conference. The Nitrogen Conference is on the 13th. That one's in St. Cloud. And then um, the Nutrient Management Conference is on the 20th, and that's will be in Mankato. So you can just kind of do a Google search on those. You should be able to pull them up. And like I said, they're free. If anybody is interested in um, joining in, they, you can come in and, and just join in online with some of that. And I'll be talking a little bit more about some of the sulfur stuff, at least at the one in uh, St. Cloud. So those are those are upcoming if anybody is interested. Well, I think this brings us to kind of our last segment, kind of a new uh, segment that we've been doing. It's kind of what are what are you reading or watching? Kind of what's new? And that could be related to soil fertility or, or maybe you're binge watching something on Netflix. <laughs> so anything come to mind, Dan? Well, I haven't had a whole lot of time to do a lot of anything just because it's at that time of the year. But, um, you know, a couple of things I get a lot of questions on right now are on potassium. Um, we are working on some stuff. Um, you know, the issue being here in Minnesota, a lot of eyes in the southern part of the state to Iowa and what they're doing with their P&K guidelines. So there's always a lot of questions on on why things differ. So we've got a few projects looking at that and maybe look at some more joint work across the um across the region just to look at our guidelines and try to at least clean up some of these these issues we have so that's you know one of the main things that i think we'll be looking at here in the next year or two and then certainly you know, biologicals i mean still a lot of people interested in those um we haven't really been seeing consistent results with them but i guess it just depends on what you define as a positive result on a lot of these things that's kind of the i'll, I'll just kind of leave it at that I'm actually going to be talking about that at our Nitrogen Smart program. Um, I've got a couple dates coming up at, for Nitrogen College. One's in um, Monoman. Um, that's coming up here next week. And then um, the following week we'll be down um, uh, southwest part of the state at Jackpot Junction at that. And I said one of our new ones is talking about variable rate nitrogen and then biologicals as well as part of that. So that's one of the things that if you are interested in any of that, you can drop me a line. Um, but um, there is a new a publication out that NDSU had talking about some of the, the regional data on biological and biostimulants, um, if anybody is interested. So 
lot of questions there. I just would, again, that when you had the comment about testing, that's what you need to do. You need to have some on-farm testing of this and make sure you set your, set your, um, trials up correctly that you can you correctly compare these things because um, you can drop a lot of money into these things and you know a lot of questions we have on our end are these things even alive when you apply them because you never really know um so that's kind of the the number one thing on our mind we've had a lot of discussions on so yeah that was our uh, our last podcast uh, topic we had a guest that had talked a little bit about biologicals as well as bio biostimulants and uh, it's kind of like the Wild West is kind of how I think of it right now. There's a lot, a lot we need to learn, and it'll be interesting to see where we are at in 10 years or even five years for that matter. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on, and I can imagine there's going to be more and more research, I guess, uh, looking into these things as well. Yeah, and it's one of the things, too. I, I mean, I'm not trying to be overly negative about it because, I mean, in time, there might be something that might be work out or be positive with it. It's just right now, it just seems like... I. I don't really want growers to get close-minded about some of these things if something does come along the line that we do see that consistently works. Because, I mean, really right now it's consistency of these things. And that's the, the big thing in my mind is um, what's the probability it works? Is it probably would work somewhere. The thing is, if it only works in an isolated spot, I mean, it's not really being where it's the stuff's being marketed right now. So that's kind of one of the challenges. And I get questions on it and I just don't have a whole lot of answers because I can't keep up with all that that's out there. So well, time will tell on that, um, but you said hopefully something will come out will be a little bit more consistent. That's that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping for. Yep, same here. Well, with that, uh, Dan, I guess I really appreciate you taking the time out of uh, your day today to join us for the podcast here. If our listeners out there have any feedback, uh, other topics you want us to cover this winter or in the summer, uh, or any other uh, topics that you'd like to send us, we do have an email, agronomy at wiffles.com. You can certainly send it to. And uh, I guess with that, stay safe out there and uh, see you next time. 